Hi, this is Dr. Kimberly Leonard, author of Visualizing Happiness in Every Area of Your Life and host of this podcast, Incredible Life Creator. And today I have Miss Erin Glynn on. Welcome to the podcast, Erin. Hi, thank you so much for the invitation. Yes, and she's traveling today, so we're seeing her in her travel gear. Yes. um, But we're so happy to have you on here. So just so people can know you, I'm going to read your bio. Erin Glynn is an avid outdoors person and Georgia real estate attorney. She has practiced as a real estate attorney for six years in Atlanta and recently opened her title company. Erin is a passionate anti-racist and is active in numerous projects and organizations working towards equity and access to clean, safe housing for all. She also owns a tiny home. All right. That's true. So many things to talk about, (laughs) Erin. So where do we all start? Um, How far back do you want me to go? (laughs) Start wherever you like. I traveled the world as a child. I was lucky enough to see multiple countries, continents at very young ages. Um, And I think that really had an impact on me. I know it did. So luckily, I I was fortunate to visit many, many different countries, you know, before I was even 15 years old. And then I continued that traveling through my adolescence and into my 20s. Um, and the reality is, I just, when you immerse yourself in other cultures and make friends around the world, um, you just learn so much about the economy, about society, about economics, um, business, and really the importance of people and culture in, in all of that. So specifically, I remember hiking in the Himalaya mountains, um, and the altitude is so high. Um, and so the people that live there are much shorter folks. Um, and I remember just noticing that and then wondering, you know, well, why, why does everybody look a certain way and reading even more about their lung capacity. So the lung capacity of a Nepali native is much greater than the lung capacity of me, Erin Glenn in Atlanta, Georgia, because those people are a product of their environment. So, I mean, it's plain science. Um, So seeing how environment impacts how people live uh, may not have been a direct route into being a real estate attorney, but it's definitely informed my work as a real estate attorney, um, you know, providing clean, safe, affordable, good housing to people um, really changes lives. And so I love my small role in that. Yeah. So um, how did you decide on real estate? I listened to other people. Um, when I decided to go to law school, I knew I was going to go to law school from a very young age. I just always wanted that for some reason. It wasn't, it wasn't decided for me. It wasn't a family legacy or anything like that. It was really just something I always wanted to do because it was a, a profession that garnered respect from other people in the community. And that to me was always just kind of important. Like I wanted to do something that was going to be noticed or, you know, going to be uh, recognized as a, as a profession of importance. And so 
And I was always also told that I would be good at it. Um, I like to talk. <laughs> I'm very um, verbose in some ways. I always got, you know, Erin talks too much on her report card. Um, and lawyering is talking. It's a lot of talking, and both verbally and on paper, um, conveying thoughts, communicating. Um, so I always knew I was going to go that route, but but then just as far as specializing in real estate, really everybody I knew that did it loved it. And um, I remember renting my first apartment as a 20 year old and the lady that gave me the keys to that apartment. And I remember going to her office and paying the rent check and seeing her there with this big cabinet of keys and surrounded by files and running all over the place and dealing with, you know, tenant issues. But she always looked like she was having fun is as much as she may not agree with that statement to me it looked like and she was just so cool you know she had these beautiful dresses and she got to go on vacation and she wasn't like you know sitting at a bank counting dollars and deposit you know it was like she was actually out doing things and talking to people and and it didn't hurt that she had the keys to like a hundred of the coolest apartments in Atlanta it was an old, um, an old investment group that had converted lofts and unique little spaces here and there. And they were just great spaces. And I thought that was so cool. So that was kind of my first entree was, you know, just paying rent and, and looking around and seeing the process and, um, and then just listening to people around me, you know, I think your, your, your book and your podcast are about happiness and, um, I have friends that had practiced in criminal law or family law or divorce law, and a lot of them were not happy. You know, a lot of them are, are not happy. Um, in fact, some of them told me not to go to law school in the first place. Oh, don't be a lawyer. You'll hate it. But on the other side, I had people saying, oh, do real estate. You'll love it. You know, so I kind of combined those two things and thought, well, I'm going to go the route where people look like they're happy and they're having fun. Um, and to me, that was real estate. It was not um, courthouse litigating. It was not, you know, criminal work. It was definitely for me not dealing with children or custody or divorce or anything that really is emotional. Um, I mean, although real, real estate does get emotional at times, but for the most part, it's very transactional. It's very much uh, happy law, you know, because people are buying something or selling something usually. Um, so I really just listened and I looked to see around me who was happy and how can I be more like that? And it has really served me. Um, that strategy has really served me. Wow. And I wanted to ask you about housing. So, um, we met because I was looking for a real estate attorney because I want to invest in real estate. And one of the things that are tug at my heart is having affordable housing for people, having places where people can live. And so I'm wondering with all your travels that you've done as a younger person, as you look around, what countries, what places who kind of already has it? Where's the place where they are doing well at providing housing for people? I think Japan does some really neat things. Um, I don't know that they would all carry over necessarily. 
But I love, for instance, like Japan thinks of housing in very different ways and that, um, you know, you could have like a sleep pod. If you need a place to sleep for the night, you might not need a full kitchen. You know, you might not need to bake a turkey. I don't know if they bake turkeys in Japan. I don't think they do. I think that's an American thing. Um, but they don't need counter space. They just need a clean, safe bed, you know? And so there's actually like sleep pods where it, it's not housing in the traditional sense of Americans thinking of building a house. It's, it's more fulfilling the needs that housing provides. Mm -hmm. So houses provide you warmth, shelter, space, quiet, a place to eat, a place to sleep, a place to shower. And um, I think if we can encourage first time home buyers or, you know, people in this country to maybe think about housing in more of a um, organic way. So it's not just building a thing, but it's providing these individual things. So it's all these little pieces. Um, maybe focus more on that, you know, and, and I think that's, that sometimes some of that is happening. There's a company, the name may escape me, but there's a company in New York that has built, um, I think they're calling it more like collaborative housing um, or cohab, cohab housing. And they're nice apartments, um, but not every apartment has a full kitchen, you know? So you might have your living room, your bathroom, your dining room, your shower, but maybe the kitchen is shared by the floor or something to that nature. So it does sound more like a hostel, um, mm -hmm. but they don't look like hostels. They're absolutely beautiful units. And to be honest, you know, I know many people that would prefer to have commercial grade kitchenware mm -hmm. um, and it over there than crappy you know, garbage, throwaway, builder grade, white appliances. You know? And so, so you can do both, you know, you can have your nice apartment, you can, or condo. And I think they've done both. I think they've done rental and for sale. And I'm really interested in the unit, the, the, the style of that for sale, um, because it's really not hard to do from a paperwork standpoint, from a paperwork standpoint, all you're doing is changing the the common element from the courtyard to the courtyard and the kitchen. I mean, you're just adding in these additional shared appliances into a, 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 a an agreement, basically, for maintenance. Um, so that's a long answer to your question, but I I do love the way Japan kind of breaks down, um, and they'll even have you know you have your sleep pods. Let's say you're a business person and you've got an um, eight-hour meeting. Um, I'll use an Atlanta market example because I don't know where most of the listeners are from. But if I if I live and work in Atlanta, but I have a client in Savannah or Macon, and it's a significant drive, I don't really necessarily want to spend the whole night. You know, like, let me just go do my meeting, go back to my little cube, in my sleep pod <laughs> and decompress, decompress for a few hours, sleep for a few hours, 
probably take a quick shower and then jet, you know, and the space you can, you can change the use of space. Um, so it's, it's kind of a bigger picture idea, but I do think that there are interesting ways and innovative ways to build housing that take up less space um, and that still meet people's basic needs. And that makes sense. So this uh, is a long time ago, but um, I was in Japan probably 30 years ago. My my first marriage wow. to a Japanese national and they, his mother and father, especially his father was um, older generation. He was a lot older than his mother. And um, the house they lived in, their house, their family had owned for over 50 years. But they didn't own the land it was sitting on. Interesting. They only owned the house. And they had to pay the person that owned the land, like rent, to have their house on it. And the house Brownlee. was like right here. And the next house was right here. So, I mean, there was this much space between like, you know, six inches between the houses. So I could have put my hand out my window and put it in the window of the person next to us. And there was no driveways right. because there wasn't room for driveways. So they really have a land problem because they don't have enough land. So, you know, they have to, they have to make the spaces somehow smaller and fit all those people in it. Yes. So, yes. but I was also wondering about your, your um, tiny home. So, I've seen these, I've seen pictures of them, but I have never been in a tiny home or seen one in real life. So are there like neighborhoods of tiny homes? What is a tiny home like? How is it different from just a regular house? Legally, it's a very distinct difference uh, in how the house is built. If it is on wheels, it is not considered real estate in the United States. So you cannot get a mortgage on it. So that's a really important first decision or first question to answer is, is the tiny house movable or is it fixed? Um, and tiny houses themselves can range, you know, in square footage from 300 to 800 square feet. Um, so many, you know, New York apartments would qualify as tiny houses if they were detached. Um, Tiny houses, as I know them, are typically detached and they're either movable or fixed. Um, but you know, it's 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 a it's not a set in stone definition. You know, if you think you live in a tiny house, okay, like a tiny house in your neighborhood, maybe a two one in a two bedroom, one bathroom. Um, but there's just so many reasons to go small. Um, as I like to say, you know, go small or go home or buy a tiny house and do both um, <laughs> because it's just, it's so much better for the environment. You're not heating and cooling these gigantic square footage monstrosities. Um, so much better for the environment, just from a utility and energy perspective. That's number one. Personally, I wanted one because it's less to clean. Um, you know, and even if you have clean staff or people or you hire contractors that clean your house and do your chores for you, um, you know, there's still 
using energy <laughs> to run those vacuums and wash those sheets and do all of that stuff. And so I just didn't want that because I knew I was going to be doing it all myself. And the vision for the tiny house that I had was that it would be kind of my, the secret clubhouse that I never had as a child. <laughs> Not that my, you know, I was very lucky as a kid. I'm very grateful for everything I had, but I never got the tree house. I never got the tree house and I never got the trampoline and I'm here making up for it, you know, 35 years later. Um, but yeah, they're, they're absolutely wonderful from a maintenance perspective because the space is so small. You can literally clean your whole house in an hour, you know, um, and, and yet you still have all your needs met. You know, most of them have full size. Mine has, you know, full size appliances, queen size bed, you know, regular TV, water, all of that stuff, regular utilities. Um, but from a legal perspective, we still have a lot to do in banking to be able to lend on those types of projects, because since they're not the norm, it's hard to get a mortgage on them. And if it's hard to get a mortgage on something, that means that less people are going to be able to do it because not everybody can just come up with 150 grand cash. Um, and I say that number, $150,000, because that's about what they were going for, you know, over the past few years. Yes, costs have escalated because of um, supply chain and just inflation. Um, but, you know, it, there's the phrase, the missing middle in housing. Um, and it's really something people need to think of is like, it's very easy to find a house for $350,000 or more. It's very easy to find a fixer upper or a tear down or a total gut for less than $150,000. It is very challenging to find something between $150,000 and $250,000 to purchase. Um, so, what are we doing about that? You know, and um, I can't fix inflation, I can't bring the interest rates down. So, what can I do? You know, I can advocate that we allow houses of smaller square footage to be constructed. I can advocate that we allow for a duplex in a neighborhood that was single family. Um, so, yeah, there's a great group called yimby.org, Y-I-M-B-Y.org. It stands for yes in my backyard org um, instead of not in my backyard or NIMBYs. Um, so yimby.org is very active in advocating for smart housing policies. And um, I mean, I'm in, I'm in Nevada right now and specifically Boulder city and um, where the Hoover dam was built, you know, and like, this is, this is America, like this is American history right here is miners, you know, plowing through mountains and laying tracks and running railroads. And these houses are small people. So <laughs> these old, these whole houses are old. So we figured it out then and we were happy then. But for some reason, you know, things just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and, you know, I support luxury i love luxury but a lot of celebrities a lot of you know high earners and high income net you know high net worth people also want a cool small thing to you know 
hang out at. So it, it can be trendy. I'm not saying everybody needs to live in one type of housing. That's not the point. Um, the point is, is give, give people options. And right now, a lot of zoning codes don't allow the option. They say that a house has to have a minimum square footage uh, to to reside in the neighborhood. And I just think that's pathetic, to be honest, because there are plenty of amazing architects that can do a lot with a very little footprint. Mm -hmm. And why would someone choose a, a tiny house as opposed to just a, a condo or someplace, you know, because when you build up, so I, I went to school in Chicago, so I lived on the 54th floor, actually, it's wow. floor of, a, of a building and they were condos. Yeah, and we had plenty of space in there. I don't know how much it was, but it sounds like about the same space as a tiny house. Yes. So why choose a tiny house that has takes this much land and there's nothing above it or below it as yes. opposed to just buying a condo? Why do people choose a tiny house compared to like the same square footage in a condo? I think it's just options. You know, I... I too have spent time in downtown Chicago. I have family that lived in some of those high rise John Hancock building, 76th floor. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. So much fun. Loved it. But that building was built a long time ago. <laughs> like that building was there. If I wanted to build a tiny house on Michigan Avenue, I couldn't because there's no land available. Mm -hmm. So I think it's giving, it's doing what you can with what you have. And America is really not hurting for vacant land. We have a lot of available places to build. Um, so no, a tiny house wouldn't be the best option for downtown Chicago. Um, but it's also, you know, simplicity and startup costs, like the financing on building the John Hancock. I mean, it's called the John Hancock building. Think about all of the multiple tens of millions of dollars that have gone into constructing and maintaining that building. Um, whereas, you know, startup costs to build a tiny home is your lot, your materials and your labor and materials and labor on a 500 square foot project, um, maybe $40,000. I mean, you can build these things very affordably. Um, that's number one. And then number two to your exact example is, um, condo buildings, especially high rises, have a huge liability uh, and risk with their elevators. Elevators are very expensive. Um, and, you know, when you own a condo, you own a share of the whole thing, the whole building. So if that elevator breaks and it costs $75,000 to get it fixed or replaced, you got to pony up some cash to get that elevator fixed. You really have no option in that. Whereas, if you own a tiny home and it's fee simple and it's attached to the ground and there's no association, you've really limited your potential risk. So again, it's an affordability issue. I just read something that 80% of all new construction in Atlanta are in HOAs and in community controlled. And that is what it is. You know, I mean, that's from a financial standpoint, you got to pay the dues. I mean, you have no choice except mm -hmm. to leave, really. Um, 
So you got to pay the dues. And sometimes you don't know how much the dues are going to be because they can change over time. Right. So it's hard to budget for that. Okay, don't um, I know that? Ours just went up. Yeah. <laughs> what was, do you know, like the percentage or what was the reason or tell me more about that. They just said the expenses went up. Yes. And so it went up. So, I mean, it's, I think it's maybe like $900 this year. It's like, that's so, it's a lot every year. It is. It is um, common area risk in, in risk insurance is a big factor on that. Um, I'm actually president of association, the, the tiny house association I'm part of. Um, we were able to successfully negotiate our insurance to save $6,000 on our insurance premium last year um, because we basically just transferred the risk from the for exterior maintenance from the association to the individual owners. Um, but we have four houses in our association, but it's nothing. <laughs> it's like me and three people and we can figure it out, you know. But when you get into these bigger associations, which most of them are, you know, 100 or more houses, you have to, um, you really have to look at what your insurance is charging you and how much it is and what your maintenance costs are for that. And then really the management is usually the second biggest expense like insurance management and then all the utilities. So what about things like duplexes, quadruplexes, you know, uh, uh, one building that give housing to more people, yeah. why is it so hard to find one of those? At least, at least in our area, maybe it's it is. New York city, but I mean, it's really hard to find one. And why is it that people aren't building that? Cause it seems like that would be a lot more affordable for a lot of people compared to individual houses? I think people are starting to build more of them in the Atlanta market um, because I know we've all been crying about it for like five years. At least everybody I know has been crying about it, wanting more, wanting to buy more, wanting to invest in them. Um, FHA guidelines just even increased for first-time home buyers if they want to use an FHA loan on multifamily housing it used to be a cap I think at four units mm -hmm. now it's like up to like 16 possibly hello like if you're a first time yeah it's mm -hmm. amazing I mean it's absolutely amazing that you could get a FHA loan on that from a buyer standpoint but it's hard to find they are definitely rare birds um I went to school in Boston I remember walking home from the bus and I would see at least a third of the houses on my street were triplexes. You know, it'd be like single family house, triplex, two single family houses, triplex. And they're, you know, the flat three story tall. Mm -hmm. And they were beautiful and they were expensive mm -hmm. and people love them, you know, because it's not, you know, maybe where the house was $800,000, the individual condos were maybe two fifty, three hundred thousand dollars. So you're providing housing for three more families. Um Atlanta hasn't done that. I, I honestly have to tell you I'm not an expert on Atlanta history. Um I moved to the city of Atlanta when I was in middle school. Um so I don't know all of the history of what neighborhoods were destroyed in the Civil War, but let's be honest, a lot of things were destroyed mm -hmm. in the Civil War. And it's 
you know, it was just the, the right thing at the time. Like instead of building, if I could stay claim to a beautiful lot in Ansley Park and build my dream mansion, yeah, let's do that. I'm I'm not thinking at the time, let me build for 150 years from now, you know? So I think a lot of the land in the city was used for single family in certain neighborhoods because that's what they wanted at the time. Um, but I mean, there, there are a lot of small infill, beautiful neighborhoods in the city of Atlanta. I mean, in park, Candler park. Um, and yet those neighborhoods still have very high value single family homes. So the, the logical fallacy that, uh, that high density means low value is proven look at Inman Park you know you have a home that's two and a half million dollars with apartments right next to it like mm-hmm. you can have both you can have high value and high density yes yes so um let's talk about I know this isn't exactly your wheelhouse but let's say I I know I have three children in their 20s and, you know, a couple of them are looking for houses and, and like one of them's in Roswell, which is, you know, very populated area. And it's like, they can't find anything in their price no. range that is anywhere, you know, what they, you know, that's close to where they work, where they can actually qualify because the interest rates are high right now and the housing is high. So what are, what are how do people actually get finance for these things or what, what creative things can be done so that people can get into houses that want to? Extremely good question. Um, thank you so much for asking that. The reality is that they have to change their expectation. They have to lower their expectation. There was a skit on Saturday Night Live many, many years ago. I would encourage everybody to go watch it. And it's called Lowered Expectations. It's a dating, it's a, a satire on the dating game. And it's, you know, you want Mr. Perfect or Miss Perfect or they perfect, whatever. But let's lower our expectations. Like, does the person brush their teeth? Do they do their dishes? You know, like, that's... <laughs> Lower your expectation and it has to be the same in your housing search. Mm -hmm. You have to, you're not going to get everything you want. That's not how this game works. It's not how life works. Um, What you need is a place that is safe, that is clean, that you can shower, cook and sleep in and, and that it can get you to work. So the best advice I have to people struggling to find something right now is, lower your expectation and widen your search area. You have going to have to go out. So, and the, the advent, the advantage of going out further from the main town that you're looking in is number one, your taxes are going to be less. Like the city of Atlanta taxes are extremely high. Fulton County taxes are extremely high. Mm-hmm. So um, it's just not affordable for most people. So go over to Cherokee County, you know, look at Kennesaw, look at Ackworth. I mean, they're, they're very beautiful areas also, but you might be able to find something in an unincorporated portion of, you know, the geography um, 
that you can make work. And really that's it. You just need to make it work because if you can find anything that you'll feel comfortable in for five years, you know, that's really all you need, but it's still going to be better paying a mortgage on a house you don't love for the short term is still better than paying expensive rent in an apartment that you're, you do love. And I, I, I must say that these new apartments in Atlanta, I'm sure other cities are seeing it too. It's crack. They're, they're, they're enticing you with crack cocaine to get mm-hmm. you hooked on it because it is not real. Normal houses don't have three fireplaces and all new contemporary furniture and a freaking, you know, coffee machine and dog park they give you all of these ben- and normal houses don't have pools and hot tubs and barbecue parties and all this crack that they are feeding you <laughs> to get you addicted that's not how real people live i mean it's just not you know so these these beautiful apartment buildings are enticing you with advertising and smoke and mirrors about how you should live your life and yeah, it's fun when you're 21, um, but no thanks. I mean, you're better off, like, going further out, getting a smaller place, buy something that's very well built, buy something where the property taxes are lower than, you know, they are elsewhere, buy something not in an HOA so you don't have that monthly expense, and then just pay your mortgage for a couple of years and then use that equity to springboard into something different, really. That makes sense to me. My first house was a as is. <laughs> and we got there, there was big holes in the carpet. There was pieces of oh, the wow. covers missing. I mean, it was really, really, really as is. So yeah. but um there's so many things that, you know, we talked about as far as real estate and so many things you do. And, you you know, you mentioned comedy and laughter and how do you, how do you incorporate that, incorporate that into your life? Every day. Absolutely. Every day without fail. Um, I don't know if it was a family member that told me this. I have ancestry from Ireland. Um, so I'm very interested in Irish history and that culture um, but, or I may have read it, but the shortest distance between two people is a smile is the, you know, old Irish folklore saying, and it's really true. Like, mm. you know, just being nice, you know, goes so far. Um, and it's so hard. I mean, I will be the first to admit I can be you know, as mean as day, if I don't have my coffee, um, I do have Irish ancestry. So I do get my Irish up mm-hmm. at times. I have taken many anger management classes on that, but, but at the same time, um, in, if you're trying to accomplish a goal, uh, why not reach out to the other side with a handshake or a smile first to kind of set the tone as cordial. And I think lawyers don't do that enough. Um, I don't think real estate agents do that enough. And I do think it makes a difference. And, you know, if somebody on the other side wants to think that I'm crazy or soft because I say funny things in an email, hey, that's your right to think that. I know that 
my friends love it. <laughs> and and I would rather make the joke and put somebody else at ease and fit, have them feel comfortable with me and my personality than not make the joke and operate in an era, an aura of, you know, toxicity or um, falsehoods. So that's kind of the bigger picture is really it's, it's a, it's a strategic business choice to make jokes because adding levity and, and humor. um, The reality is, is we're not, this isn't a cancer diagnosis. We are not, you know, so you have to kind of put things in context sometimes. Um, But also, I mean, it's a coping mechanism, you know, I mean, comedy really helps process things um it's it's a form of therapy you know that's been proven um and it's just it's just an escape really so uh you know little things like if you're working on a a project with a, a a colleague and they're really stressed about something sending them a gif of you know you funneling a cup of coffee or something Mm -hmm. it's you know it just helps um but yeah, have you have you seen any funny things lately, or watched any funny movies, or who's and, and who's your favorite comedian these days? Um, I even though he's a little bit raunchy, I like Adam Sandler because he's just funny. It's just funny. Yes, <laughs> yes, but he's a good guy. Like nobody says, "Oh, Adam Sandler, he's an asshole in business." You know, I don't know <laughs> if I can say that. But, but nobody says bad things about him. Mm-hmm. You know, he has a nice family, he has beautiful daughters. He's just kind of tra- transparent, you know. So I do, um, I do like that about him. You know, it it contri- it's same thing about Will Ferrell. I love Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell, Zach Galifianakis are like my two favorites right now. Um, and Zach Galifianakis, because I was just in Vegas, like. I mean, he just killed that role, right? The Hangover was absolutely hilarious. Um, but but they're they're smart guys. I mean, they're they make multiple millions of money, millions of dollars, and um, nobody says bad things about them. You know, nobody's like, oh, that he's he's a real diva to work with, or you know, he stiffed me on a contract like a former you know president that we've had in this like you don't hear that about you know comedians so I'm with you I think Adam Sandler is cool yeah so just so people um, know how to contact you how do they contact you um, if they want to work with you um, how do they get thank you so much Kimberly I guess absolutely I'd um If you have any Georgia real estate questions, I'm only licensed in the state of Georgia. So if you have any Georgia real estate questions or you live in Georgia but have real estate elsewhere, um, you are welcome to send me an email. My email address is erin, E-R-I-N, at closedwithintegrity.com. That's closed like you closed a door with a D, closedwithintegrity.com. And we'll go from there with setting up a time for a consultation. But if you're buying or selling or if you have issues with family real estate or you want to, you know, do a certain kind of project, um, anything involving Georgia real estate, please give me a call. I'd love to talk to you. Thank you. So now I have a personal question. What gives yes. you happiness and fulfillment in your life right now? 
my friends, uh, my family, um, my dog, <laughs> and my new pro, I mean, my, my work, really. I love talking about real estate. I love helping people get through difficult problems, really. I love kind of being a, um, uh, sorry, somebody just ran by that. I love kind of being, um, a handholder, you know, to helping people through challenging times. And that combined with some really good time outside, like the five mile hike I just got off of, um, that gives me happiness and fulfillment. So thank you so much for this invitation and for hosting this. It is a really important conversation is, you know, how do you find those things and keep those things in your life? I hope to come back. Yes. Yes. Thanks for being on the show today. And I have one last question. What gives you, what is your best advice on living an incredible, amazing life? Stop comparing yourself to other people. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Erin. You got it. Enjoy the rest of your night. All right. We'll Thanks talk to you again. Okay. Great. Bye -bye. You got it. Bye.